Now, for something completely different, the broadcasting veteran who taught Joe Rogan absolutely nothing, Brian Wilson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people of all sexes, and especially all of you who've been canceling your vacation plans to Pennsylvania, Arizona, Utah, it's uh, time once again for something completely different. As our uh, offstage announcer mentioned, Brian Wilson's my name. Uh, I will assume you've self-identified as who or whatever you are. This time around, we're going to take a closer look at just what the hell happened in the midterm elections and surprise most everyone who had thoroughly prepared for a red tsunami that would end the careers of dozens of liberals and bring in a life raft of red state Republicans to save the republic from the Biden-Harris wrecking ball. Well, as we all know by now, the tsunami became a trickle, leaving all but a few white-knuckled Democrats pleasantly surprised and Republicans shocked, shocked that they didn't get the humongous win they expected. Still buried in the carnage of the results that we have is the answer to the biggest question, why? With Biden's abysmal approval ratings, the inflation situation, gas prices, food shortages, the insanity known as Ukraine, a stock market that's got a hula hoop. How could uh, anything less than a clean sweep of the scrunch buckets that caused it all be inevitable? Naturally, everyone has an opinion, and opinions are worthless without facts to support them. And that is why I asked Frick Schmenzel, the head of Clout Research, one of the nation's outstanding research firms based in Columbus, Ohio, to uh, return and, as they say, break it all down for us in itty-bitty words so we can all understand. Fritz, thanks for coming back. I'm glad to be here, Brian. Thanks for asking. That uh, shows tremendous courage on your part. We rarely get people <laughs> agree to come back. Hey, I'm glad to see you survive the uh, red ripple. Listen, Fritz, when you were armed, uh, when you're armed with as much research as you have, obviously, it's your business cloud research, which you do and all over the country, were the results as surprising to you as they were for the rest of us that believed, uh, you know, the narrative, as they say? Well, I, for a few minutes, it it was a little bit of a surprise because it, it was easy with the, the hype to see something enormous building because I think what happened was there was so much extrapolation of the numbers that were being produced, not just by us, but by other other pollsters across the country, you know, we're showing Zeldin in New York closing in on Hochul, for instance. He never really got with it. He never took the lead. I think he did. I think he did in one poll, but mostly uh, his his polling results there were showing that he was, you know, within four, within five, something like that. And that's about where that uh, election ended up. And it was the same thing in many swing districts or even blue districts around the country. There was unusual momentum beginning to develop for Republicans. And I think there was a lot of getting caught up in, well, well, this is happening everywhere. It's going to be a massive, massive thing. But if you look at the polls, they were really pretty darn accurate across the board this time. And if you just took those, took all the news coverage away, and just looked purely at the numbers without the extrapolation, it was always going to be a pretty 
close election. And what happened, the interesting thing that we caught was that the Republican momentum built to a peak about 10 days before the election, and then nothing happened. And usually for the party out of power, nothing happening in those last 10 days is a good thing. We stopped seeing movement in favor of the Republicans at about that point in all our tracking polls. And what, looking back now, was going on was that Republicans had peaked just like Democrats had peaked in July and August, and the Democrats were mounting a bit of a counteroffensive. And now we know that that counteroffensive actually stemmed the tide in some key toss-up races. Now, we still don't know what's going to happen in, in a couple of states as we talk here, what, three, three days after the election. Uh, in Nevada, we don't know. And in Arizona, we still don't know. In Oregon, we still don't know. And, and there, there are something like 50 House races still not called. But I think that's what was happening. And it was interesting. It was hard to catch because the Democrats very wisely targeted a couple of key groups and went after them without going after the larger everybody type of counteroffensive, if you will. They targeted independent voters. They targeted particularly women independents, but also some men. And then they targeted younger voters. If you go into these districts that were expecting to go red, but actually stayed just a tiny bit blue, it's because of those groups. There was a fascinating analysis of the independent vote by uh, John Podoritz at the New York Post this week after the election. He did an analysis of the independent vote. In, in the typical midterm elections, the out-of-party power generally has a 10 to 12 percent advantage among independent voters. We were seeing that in our polling, but what actually happened in that last week was that independents went back. And in this election, instead of losing 10 to 12 percent to the Republicans, the Democrats actually won independent votes nationwide by one point. And that was the difference. That was the key in all these close races across the country. So that stemmed this tidal wave and created just a puddle. I had a couple of questions here on the on this business of the momentum. Unless I go back and try to deal with the psychology of groups and, and great big groups and so on, it's difficult to understand. The, it's like skeet shooting. You know, you call for the bird, the bird comes out, but in the position you're in, you can't just point at the bird and shoot at it because the time the shot gets there, the, the bird's going to be, you know, down the way. So you have to right. lead, you know, accordingly. So when I hear about the momentum of Republicans, momentum of Democrats, I'm assuming, well, they've got something that's moving their bird, as it were, uh, down the road, and it's keeping it up there, and it's still a target for the voter who's going to get caught up with it. Is that a reasonable analogy? And the reason I ask the question is primarily because 
the news media, the narrative, and so on that, that I was involved in for so long, we seem to be the ones that are creating the energy for the momentum. If we don't cover the Republicans, they don't have any momentum. If we don't, if we're critical of Democrats, well, their momentum is is skewed accordingly. But the way you explain it, it's almost as if independents and Republicans and Democrats have some sort of a mind of their own that's not really influenced by much of anything except the weather forecast, the World Series, you know, <laughs> did he get a good beer, that kind of thing. How exactly should we understand the term and the concept and the ingredient of momentum when you and your colleagues report it? Well, we're finding it in the changes to responses among subgroups in our polling when we're polling week to week to week. So we're, we're watching what's happening with independent voters. We're watching what's happening with Democrats and Republicans. But in this particular election, as is mostly the case, Democrats vote very early. So across the country, and in particular races, Pennsylvania comes to mind, the Democrats worked really hard to bank as many votes, Democratic votes, as possible, as early as possible, because they knew that that debate was going to come and they knew it was going to be a disaster. They banked a ton of Democratic votes before that thing ever took place. Now, mm. by contrast, Republicans always vote late. Democrats always vote early. Republicans always vote late. Independents also tend to vote very late. And here's the reason why. Independent voters don't really want to engage in the process. If they wanted to, they'd pick a side, but they haven't because, frankly, they don't really like either side, but they realize they've got an obligation. They, they want to participate, but so they wait as long as possible. So you've got late-breaking independent voters and late-breaking Republicans in the system. So what happens is you've got an electorate that is naturally more risky for the Republican candidate because more of their supporters, they're more likely to be influenced by late advertising uh, than the, the Democrat who's already got, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent of his support banked in already having voted. And what we were seeing in terms of advertising is that there was a ton of advertising uh, against Republicans in that last 10 days that included a lot of Donald Trump language and a lot of they're going to take away your uh, right to control your own body, a lot of abortion advertising in those last 10 days. And, you know, Trump is a very, very divisive figure, and especially among independent voters. They love him for what he did and can do financially, but they hate him for what he does to the political process. Independents hate confrontation much more than Democrats or Republicans who really revel in it for the most part. So that an anti-Trump advertising message in the last 10 days to independent voters are going to move those voters. It didn't move all of them, because we still had movement to the Republican side, but it moved enough of them to make it not be a big disaster for the Democrats. Two well, two questions, and thank you for that, uh, but two questions as a result. With respect to the Democrats always vote early, Republicans always vote late, independents you know, tend to vote late later than everybody. 
I mean, some of that is, is certainly understandable. I suspect if someone is truly an independent and is going to wait till the last minute till all the facts as they are presented or in before he votes, okay, I get that. But from a historical sense, assuming that this Democrats early, Republicans late, well, let me qualify the question. Is that a recent phenomenon or is that something that has some historical legs? Well, it's fairly recent because okay. uh, it wasn't too many elections ago that you couldn't vote that early. It's right, gotten ridiculous right. now. We're voting in September right. in some states. So well, I was trying to understand how it was that the Republicans hadn't learned their lesson, that if the Democrats uh, wisely, as you said, target these different groups, get all their voting done, get all that work done early and in the bank, then they can uh, successfully pole vault over any issues like a, an embarrassing debate performance that might skewer their vote otherwise. If the well, shoot on the other foot, I don't know that any Republicans would have shown up for a Pennsylvania race, obviously, because they, they haven't voted. I'll get to that Trump thing uh, a little bit later on. But the, I wanted to ask you, too, moving on to those targeted issues, a lot of the explanations I've heard from the talking heads, especially on Fox, they had a chart up that said the number one issue was the economy, like 40%. And then the next one was abortion, 10%. Whoa, wait a minute. And then guns, uh, crime, rather, and, and everything else was, was after that. So I'm trying to understand how you go from a 40% response for something like the economy, and the very next most important item is abortion, but it's 30 points down from the most important point. So, And it's only one point ahead of crime. So how does abortion become an, an issue that can be banged on to, to make up that gap between 10 and 40, assuming, assuming their numbers are reasonably accurate? Well, because you only had to move 10% of the electorate to stem the tide of this, what was billed as a Republican tidal wave. And that's what they did. They moved just enough, 8 to 10% of the independent voters with that message. And those were the ones who are going to show up in this polling. So, and you know, when you say the economy, there's a confusion among pollsters even on how to deal with that because the economy, or do you say inflation? Do you break them apart or do you collect them together? And, and I suspect overall, the idea of inflation, the economy is, you know, it's not doing too badly actually right now but the really bad part about it is inflation so how do us as pollsters deal with that issue we early on broke them apart and then towards the end we decided to go ahead and, and collect them together because inflation more people were conflating inflation with the overall economy but the truth is they are separate issues even though voters don't talk about them in that in that language so much uh, the economy is doing better than inflation despite inflation so i think when you look at the final analysis some pollsters break them apart others keep them together uh, but that's that's why at just 10% abortion had uh, what you would consider to be an outsized uh, impact in this race, because that message didn't have to move 50% of the electorate to be effective for the Democrats. They just had it. to move yeah. 8 to 10%. I got you. Well, on that note, then, and moving ahead with, with abortion and, and a few other issues, my late colleague Rush Limbaugh used to refer to people as low-information voters. And I get the sense that people who are motivated 
ever since the uh, Roe v. Wade decision was kicked by the uh, Supreme Court, the messaging and the coverage and so on has been on on a non-existent assertion that uh, women lost their constitutional right to an abortion, which was uh, hooey. You know, the fact that the Supreme Court just said, we have no business ruling on this. We never should have in the first place. This is all a state's issue, so states have at it, but the feds aren't going to have a uh, aren't going to have a seat at the table. And it was narrated as the Supreme Court taking away a woman's right to an abortion, which it did not. But yet, that was the way the message was framed and propounded by by Democrats and special interest groups and so on. So my question is essentially getting uh, to the bottom of that: is is it safe, albeit somewhat insulting, to say that the the heads of the Various parties, but especially the Democrats, when they're coming up with their strategies, are they doing it with an idea that the voter is stupid, that the voter is uh, low information, ignorant, uninformed, prejudiced, uh, uh, whatever, uh, because nobody's right to an abortion was taken away. It was just moved to the states where they have to make their own minds. And that's pretty much it. But uh, I really often wondered what, what goes on in those back rooms when they're coming up with their messages, knowing that what they're saying is, in fact, a lie. Yeah, all of the above. That That is the assumption. Uh, but if you think about it, the uh, independent voter, while being hailed as, as being entirely principled and above it all, the truth is the independent voter is largely unattached and uh, is in many senses the lowest information voter you can have. You can argue that, come on, pick a side and make up your mind or just say, I hate all these people and just don't vote. But it is the independent and, and I would be the last to want to restrict a person's right to just sit out the partisanship. Uh, because there there are days we all get sick of it but the fact is this this country is polarized because there are two very very different visions of america now on the table for debate and if you can't pick one of these sides there's something missing in this equation and so <laughs> well, what's that line I mean, never have uh, the people been better informed, but so poorly understood or something like that. And there's so much information out yeah. there. And yet someone, everyone is, is so much uh, uh, so poorly informed as to the as to the matter. It's interesting you say that about the independence, because I was kind of thinking about it the other way around. The independence for people who held out to the last minute to examine every nook and cranny, you know, to granularize the arguments, you know, and find out where the hocus pocus was and, and then subsequently make their, their decision. Although I, I certainly see your side is saying, well, I don't really give a damn until the last minute. And then I'll just see whichever one gives me the leg tangle and yank the lever accordingly. Yeah, I believe yeah. it's a ladder. Apparently and, so. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't argue the point. I, I, it just uh, switch, switches my thinking around because they thought, oh, independent voters, there's somebody who's smart enough to know that they're both full of crap, you know, and they're going to try and make a, make a, but then your point, well, if you think that's the case, well, then don't vote. Don't just don't get involved. Send it out. Let them fight it out in the alleyway. Moving over to the uh, one other thing. There was a contention that I read somewhere that the reason somebody like Fetterman and several other Democrats who were figured to lose won, and they were pushed over the top by the Gen Z vote, that the, the Generation Z vote uh, turned out like they never have before because of the student loan issue. And this was, I guess, kind of like a thank you vote 
you know, for taking that off their credit card. Is there substantive research to back that up? I haven't seen any research to that effect, Brian, but I do think that that was a factor. That was certainly one of the groups that uh, was targeted in late going uh, by the Democratic Party. And I believe that it did have an effect, uh, uh, particularly in specific races like in Pennsylvania. Of course, the irony is uh, later after the election, the federal judge, I believe he was in Texas, has invalidated that uh, that executive order, at least temporarily. So they're not going to end up with with anything uh, for their, but thanks for coming out and voting for us anyway. I yeah. mean, this is a sort of a, a backward situation, but it is clearly with political intent that that was done in the first place. And clearly with the idea that uh, you could in fact get younger voters to the polls for a midterm, which is not not something that typically happens. And that the Democrats have figured out a way to get more young voters to the uh, to the polls for a midterm should scare the hell out of the Republicans because that's been uh, that's been something ne- neither side has been able to figure out uh, forever and uh, uh, to engage a whole new class of uh, of voters is, is going to be a difficult thing for Republicans to deal with in the future that will be countered if, in fact, it can continue. And I have doubts about that. But if it can be continued, it will be countered by the Republicans' tremendous inroads in the Hispanic population. And that is the other untold story of this of this election, to see just how badly uh, Democrats uh, have fumbled uh, the uh, the Hispanic voter and attracting them into their camp and keeping them. I mean, the Republicans have made the assumption that young voters wouldn't actually vote in midterms, and they were mistaken. Democrats made the mistake of believing that Hispanics were already in their pockets and always would be, uh, and that was a that was a huge uh, wrong assumption on their part. So uh, both sides have problems they've got to deal with coming out of this election. But yeah. um, well, I would have thought they would have picked yeah. up on uh, the bit that I mean, there already was a lawsuit in the Eighth Circuit by uh, uh, several Republican state uh, attorneys general, secretaries of state, whatever, about that about that the loan forgiveness program, and it wasn't looking good. And then they get this. Of course, this was after the fact. So maybe it's just a nice lesson in bait and switch for all these college kids who thought they were going to get a get a uh, get a nice uh, hit on their uh, on their credit cards. Although uh, I was watching um, watching uh, the five last night on Fox and how they point out that a poll had been done about all these from all these college people are going to get their uh, getting their loan forgiven. What they're going to do with the money? Oh, we're going to go to, uh, to Cancun. We're going to buy clothes. We're going to gamble. We're gonna do all those. So yeah, hooray for fixing the uh, the budget issue that the uh, that the the president uh, had promised as a result of the of the uh, loan program. But enough of that. I guess we'll have to wait to see. Of course, they'll probably go to the Supreme Court anyway. So the administration will just go out and find a liberal judge somewhere on the Ninth Circuit or something like that to get that thing turned upside down. Uh, one other thing about the the entire campaign and or the explanation for the lousy turnoff, along with the ones we talked about, was the contention that 
In fact, I think it was Mitch McConnell who originally put it out there was the the quality of candidates, uh, that he wasn't going to sit there and direct funding out to lousy candidates. And he pulled out of New Hampshire. He pulled some from uh, Oz and, and all the rest of that based on that on that judgment. From your perspective, you know, as as a research person, is can you make a qualitative statement as to the field of candidates on both sides? Did did Republicans lose several seats because they ran lousy candidates? Well, yes, uh, yes, they did, and and those decision that McCon- decisions that McConnell uh, was making was based on polling. He is one who um, has ideological drivers of his decision making, but he also is one. He's he's survived a long time and succeeded a long time in Washington because he can read polls, and those decisions. Uh, I think were probably very well founded. I think you could have poured tens of millions of dollars into New Hampshire and still not had much effect with that candidate up there, Bolduc, and and that just never was going to happen. There was a lot of criticism for his support of Murkowski up in up in uh, Alaska as well. That's such a screwed up uh, race up there. It's really hard to to yeah. know. I think that may have been a personal. Thing, but no, I I think he he his decisions, whether you like his decisions or not, were certainly based on on polling numbers. But that uh, polling numbers will be reflected reflective of the quality of the candidates, and where we see that is in the favorability rating of uh, of candidates and those who are seen favorably uh, show up in polls. Uh, right away. I mean, that's the first thing we look at. Uh, is what what are a candidate's favorables, but what are the unfavorables as well? And Democrats, particularly in this cycle, went out of their way very early on, right after primary elections, to pound away on the Republicans to, to try to erode their favorability ratings and th- you saw them very effective in Pennsylvania. Oz's unfaves were through the roof. He was just savage. But they did the same thing in Ohio, but but uh, Ryan's ads were not effective in driving down the favorability rating of uh, Vance. Yeah. And Vance was able to recover. And uh, living in Ohio, working in Ohio as well as across the country, we saw those ads in June and were wondering, what's this gonna do to that race? Because there was no response from fans. His campaign was very quiet in June, in July and August. Now, part of that was he didn't have the money to respond, but also part of it was his favorables were not being eroded. His unfavorable rating was not going up so Ryan's ads were not effective there. And Oz took the summer off. So when he came back to the, the fall campaign, he found himself deeply underwater with his favorability rating. And he could he just he fought back and he fought and he fought all fall. And his polls got better and better and better. But he started so far down that that he couldn't recover all the way enough to win. Well, how's the, what's the explanation for that then, Fritz? Because, I mean, you got Pennsylvania and Ohio, they're neighbors uh, <clears throat> from a uh, cultural population demographic 
standpoint, there's a certain amount of cross-border breeding and, and so on. So I'm, I'm, how is it that, that someone like, like Oz could be uh, affected in that fashion by being you know, out of the loop, off the, you know, not in the ring, you know, punching away during the summer? Uh, Vance does the same thing. Vance, do, Vance does well. Oz gets clobbered. Is there, is there, um, I mean, how do we understand that from a, 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 either, is it, is it geographical? Is it demographic? Is it, what is it? The messages were different. They were pounding Oz on different message, de- different negative messages than they were using against Vance. And okay. no one believed the, uh, the stuff against Vance. They, and, and I'm not as familiar with what they're saying about Oz, but but they, uh, you know, he was a bit of a carpet bagger, and that mm-hmm. that was used to good effect uh, against him. Voters hate that. Voters hate outsiders coming in. His citizenship, and, his uh, Turkish citizenship, was apparently yeah, uh, yeah. brought up at the same time. But uh, yeah. I, it's just uh, I, I appreciate the information because you know a lot of people just don't understand. Well, if it happened here, why didn't it happen there? If it happened there, why didn't it happen here? There needs to be a dichotomy, yeah. you know, between the two, and and what exactly you know causes all that. But I, I appreciate uh, appreciate how that works. You know, you know what I'm getting a sense of right here, and I think you and I talked about this uh, old decade or so ago. But uh, it seems to be, be uh, confirmed, reconfirmed, that when it comes to the strategy of politics, of campaigning, and, and all the rest of that, uh, Democrats just seem to be a hell of a lot better than Republicans. Republicans seem to be, you know, kind of naive. You know, the uh, you know the the virgin bride. They go into these things with their eyes, uh, you know, wide shut. They do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. They may have the right message. They may be on point, uh, constitutionally, philosophically, mor- morally, whatever the case. But the um, but the but the Democrats uh, in in so many cases just whip their butt. I always thought it was a matter of well, the Democrats understand that politics is a full contact sport, and they'll do anything. They'll kick you in the butt. They'll stab you in the back. They'll set you on fire. They'll bury you alive, dig you up, shoot you, bury you again. Whereas the Republicans treat politics like the Victorian street is sex. You don't talk about it in public. You know, you turn the lights off, pull the shades. It's only a necessity to perpetuate the human race. You know, and uh, good is better than bad because it's nicer. And the two well, f- philosophies just don't jihaw. But if you're looking yeah. for a winner, you go with the guy who's, who comes to the fight with brass knuckles and a gun in his pants. That's a, a very big part of this. But there's another factor at play here. The Democrats, the Democratic Party is a much younger party, and they are much more open to innovation and new ideas and new technologies. And they use that to good effect. Now, it helps that they've got Google in their back pocket, and they've got Facebook in their back pocket, and they've got Microsoft in their back pocket, Microsoft to a lesser degree, but they've also got Apple in their back pocket. Republicans are, are an, an older party. They're more fixed in their ways. And so in politics, what that means is they're more likely to go back to the old vendor who who helped Ronald Reagan get elected mm-hmm. and they'll use the same strategists and the same ideas and the same assumptions and they don't take to new technology as quickly as using as much innovation as the Democrats will. The Democrats will use all the new stuff and they'll fail and then they'll figure it out and they're way ahead. You are right. They're much better at this stuff because they have fa- they have tested and failed and then figured it out and republicans are 
There are some unique, uh, some cutting edge Republic, Republican firms out there in the world of politics, but breaking through into the top level campaigns for those firms is very difficult because it's very much an old old man's sport on the Republican side. It's they're going to have to break through and and start using more and become more open to this. But you've seen the numbers um, that uh, in terms of spending in these races, there are a lot of people trying to protect a lot of turf on the Republican side and the Democratic side. But the Democrats are spreading a lot of money around to new vendors the Republicans are much more reticent to do that. And that's why they're always playing defense in these tough races. And that's why they lose some of these close races. Well, that would certainly explain what, uh, it would seem to me that would be a very, uh, when you compare one to the other, that the the Republicans uh, have a very short-term view of things. You know, like you say, protecting turf. I just got to make it through one more cycle before I'll be able to retire with my cushy pension and, and all the rest. And the Democrats are looking at it long-term. But, uh, well, at some point, if we're going to control the world, we need to you know, make these long-term investments and be willing to fail here and there. I think Obama uh, let the cat out of the bag a little bit in a comment he made a few months ago saying, well, Trump winning one election was okay. We could survive that. But if he gets two, we're dead. And uh, yeah. and I think that's, you know, if when you look at it from a long-term strategy standpoint and the willingness to make these investments in, in all those firms you mentioned that are populated by younger people, and you look at the Republican side, well, who they got? They got a Heritage Foundation. Well, I've worked, I've, <laughs> I taught uh, some classes at Heritage. I mean, these people were old enough to be my parents. So it's... Um, it's a little uh, it's a little difficult getting through on that uh, and trying to get them, uh, at the time we were teaching uh, media it was media training and uh, trying to get them accustomed to the idea that you know if you're going to go on talk radio or talk television or whatever how you go, what you can expect and how you need to conduct yourself and so on you can't walk in there with a satchel full of theses and and uh, and books and, and references you've got to be able to sell the sizzle not the steak and that just was an analogy that they could uh, easily pick up on but I don't don't want to badmouth heritage I mean there's some you know good folks over there and seem to be getting a little bit younger and and we got other things to talk about in the Arizona and Utah uh, counting debacle. Uh, is there anything more than just uh, basic government incompetence uh, going on there, uh, uh, or is there, as a lot of people think, this is a repeat of the last time when numbers magically changed uh, in the dead of night and late votes arrived in time and and all the rest of that? Do you have a do you have a? I know that's not particularly related to polling, but uh, you're deep into this stuff, and I just wonder if you'd heard anything along those lines. No, we're uh, working in the world of politics. I, I, I've seen this uh, Nevada and Arizona. Um, I, I, I think, I think this time around, it's just pure incompetence, and it's it's born out of the idea that everybody, every possible thing should be done to make sure every possible person can vote in whatever way they want to vote. And we'll just somehow have to deal with the the ramifications of that. And and in um, in these situations in in these states, it's become so complex that they've made the simple way more complex than it needs to be. But I that they can't possibly handle it because they they're trying they're trying to do so much 
to be so flexible for so many people that they have ballots coming in from all all any number of different locations, drop boxes from here, uh, day of drop-offs at uh, offices there, and it, it's, they have to keep them all segregated. Have we checked the signature on the envelopes of these mail ballots and blah, 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 blah. There are so many different categories. I was looking online at the Arizona situation just last night, and the, the different categories that they have for all these different votes yet to be counted is is absolutely mind-boggling so it's just it's a bureaucracy um a well-intended bureaucracy gone mad and mm. that that's what's that's where we are with this i i don't think i think there are enough minders looking over the shoulders that this year uh it's not so much incompetent or not so much uh, corruption as it is incompetence, which can have the same effect as, in, as oh, corruption. Yeah. <laughs> a but, distinction without a difference, as it were. The, uh, yeah. but, uh, but at the same token, uh, those uh, those machines that magically did not perform in Maricopa County in, in Arizona on the day of days, which they had just purchased uh, a few months prior for a Scad amount of money uh, that because of 2020 and, and and even before that, it generates an odor and a suspicion that the yeah. that that you can't really ignore. Uh, you yeah. have, I mean, it, I understand it, you try to be so flexible to make sure that every vote counts that you become inflexible because you're sticking to all these this multitude of rules and particulars. But uh, plugging yeah. in a machine, testing it, making sure it works, or zinking the cartridge to print out the ballot. I mean, that's. That's uh, that's high school stuff. I would think that um, you wonder how that happens, but I don't know. Maybe an overlay of hubris, which also seems to be infecting those people out there who obviously can't be fired or held accountable. Like, what the hell? You know, just go do what you right. do. Is it too early, uh, Fritz, to um, to be getting uh, even a foggy picture of 2024 for the presidential run? I think it is. There are just too many unknowns. Uh, there, there's. I, I think on the Democratic side, it's it's unknown uh, what's really going to happen there. The one thing we all know is that Joe Biden is not running for president in two, uh, 2024. So what what's going to happen on the Democratic side? We just we just can't begin to predict. And what's the timing going to be for that? Because uh, if Biden keeps this whole thing this whole charade up for another year, um, then the Democrats are going to be really up against it in in finding people to come in and run. They've got a couple of good people out there who might who might work, but uh, everything's on ice on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, I think the same thing's going on. You've got you've got Trump who's who's going to be in. And but you've got this enormous and growing energy against him because of his polarization. And I think there are enough Republicans uh, angry at him that he he's beyond able to win the nomination again. So then what happens? It, it's going to be a bloodbath on the Republican side as well. Even though we kind of thought maybe six a month six months ago there wouldn't be a bloodbath that it would just be a coronation, it's not going to be a coronation. This midterm 
couldn't have gone worse for Donald Trump, and it couldn't have gone better for several other uh, candidates around for potential candidates. And then the overlay is the economy. What's going to be happening in the economy in another year, which is really going to determine who runs. And right, then right. you've got, you, you know, there's one other factor. What's going to be happening in the world? China sees a window that's closing. They've got a year to 18 months to take uh, any action uh, or no action against Taiwan, or that window may close forever. Uh, you've got this crazy Ukrainian situation. It'll probably resolve itself in the next year, but we don't know. And you've got you've got the situation with energy. We're heading into what could be a disastrous winter in both Europe and the United States in terms of uh, people freezing to death. And mm -hmm. so there, there, there's so much unknown. I think we just we know less about 2024 today than we did on Monday. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I understand that perfectly. The, uh, and it, it certainly does raise a lot of questions and concerns. Uh, uh, that diesel fuel situation that nobody was paying any attention to and it kind of got poo-pooed and all the rest. It's And uh, Europe, I um, this would not be a good time to move to London, I'm sure. But uh, not that I ever had that thought. I'm just saying that uh, they've, got their, they've got their issues over there. One other question about 2024 um, and subsequent races uh, in the next two years. This mass migration from uh, the West Coast, California in particular, down to Nevada and Idaho and Texas uh, in particular, the Northeast migration out of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, down to Georgia, Texas, Virginia, Tennessee, and so on. It, well, first and foremost, how is that going to impact the way you do your research? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's something we always recalibrate after every election. Uh, and, but we're doing constant analysis of the movement of, um, of voters around the country. In the last two years, it's been dramatic. I think we're going to see less movement in the next two years than we saw in the last two years. COVID just threw everything, all the balls up into the air. But what you saw in this election was that Florida has become much more of a Republican state uh, from a toss-up state, largely because of COVID and the migration, largely of those who couldn't stand to live in New York and and uh, Pennsylvania. Again, they they made Pennsylvania and New York harder to win for Republicans, but Florida easier to win because more conservatives just consolidated. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next probably the next ten years. That uh, you're going to see state more people moving to states where they feel they can they you know they're they're they can be simpatico with their their state leadership and in a way it's a triumph of the 10th amendment and uh, that's a good thing but uh in terms of national elections it can make things more difficult we're just going to have to see but but yeah. you know it, it's not for a demographer it's not a difficult thing to keep track of because we do have uh, these uh, these elections once in a while and people come out and declare who they are and who they support. And we just, uh, you know, we make adjustments as needed. I hear. Well, I guess that's true. You, you'd, uh, 
you'd almost have to presuppose that because X number of people from New York moved to Georgia or Virginia or whatever, that the numbers would be skewed accordingly, blah, 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 blah. But instead, you you go in there, you do your thing, and you get the results and say, aha, you know, and, and it is what it is, right? Yeah. 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 And you see that before, you know, some states don't have voter registration, but mm-hmm. uh, others do. And when they when you have a state without voter registration, the only thing you have to go on is, well, what were the, the last voting uh, results? And then you combine that with what the best you can tell historically. But historical voting uh, can be uh, a better indication of party identification, you know, in, in many every state's different in that respect. So it's it gets to be a sticky wicket in some situations, but we do the best we can. Sticky wicked indeed. <laughs> well, Fritz, I can't thank you enough for the seminars. I mean, it's been a real, it's been, it's been uh, very edifying, very, very informative. You turned on a lot of lights, shut off a few others, and that's uh, that's all a good thing. I, uh, I really appreciate your time and your experience and the talent you have of explaining these things in words that are small and comprehensive enough for the for the those of us here in the short bus to understand. It's uh, really, really appreciated. And I wish you all the best and the best of the family. Merry Christmas, Thanksgiving, all those holiday things. And I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but I know that at least by then we'll have a chance to talk again. I look forward to it, Brian. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Fritz Wenzel, Cloud Research, Columbus, Ohio. You can find him on the internet. And uh, I don't know if you get lucky, you might even get him on the phone. Who knows? But uh, I wouldn't advise it. He's a busy guy. Well, that, uh, that certainly explains a lot. It uh, doesn't seem to bode real well for Republicans. I tell you, they don't get their act together and uh, try and figure out how this game is really played with uh, with hardball and, and helmets as opposed to daisies and Robert Brown poetry. Uh, so let's move on for our... our uh, for our in-studio engineer, well, let me just say first that coming up next, uh, besides anything else that I may manufacture for uh, your uh, listening enjoyment, <laughs> uh, Don Williams, Don Williams uh, is going to return and give his overview on this. Uh, we spoke with uh, Jim Bovard uh, from a journalist, uh, writer's, critic's perspective. We've spoken to Fritz Wenzel, breaking down the polling information and percentages and, and that. Don is uh, going to take a uh, an even different view of this as a um, as a writer and a uh, a really smart guy and uh, someone who's been uh, around the uh, political philosophy classroom for uh, for a pretty good while. Uh, you can go up to the uh, website and download his first interview with us a few weeks ago, but he'll be coming up uh, next week. But uh, for right now, uh, for our engineer and reigning international pong champion, Joe Ted, and our offstage pronouncer with the wheelbarrow, Ross Mitchell. Brian Wilson here inviting you to join us for our next slide down the razor blade of life when something completely different returns like a cheap Frisbee. While waiting, you could uh, visit our new and GMO-free Facebook page, grab some books, leave some lascivious comments, and check out some of the unpublished drivel on our website at brianwilson.net. Before we go, here's a salute to all you veterans on this Veterans Day. Salute. Okay, pull the plug, Joe. (laughs) 